You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio. This is Counterculture on Reality Check Radio. I am Marie. It is now time for Media Matters, the weekly stroll through the newspapers. And the person I'd love to stroll with every week is Marty Gibson. How are you, Marty? I'm good, thanks, Marie. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. And I've tried out a new uh, system for the newspapers this week. And my system was, is to gather up said editions. And instead of reading it from front to back, which takes forever, I have gone through and decided to lump things in themes. Now, I've gone and uh, taken newspapers from a cross-section sort of Friday through Monday. And I have to say, there were certainly some themes that did pop out. And I thought we would cover those today, primarily economy. You also struck out in terms of some political themes and then I've also got some more sort of social and ideological ones and the themes that were in the papers this week compared to things that we've seen in previous weeks that just seem to have miraculously disappeared. Yes, it's really worth having a look at what's not in the paper. A cynical person might think that uh, Labour Party officials had had a talk to the people in charge of the papers and said, look, if we can ease up a little bit on Māori uh, anger and, yeah, if you can just tone the crime down a little bit, uh, none of that's playing very well to our polling. Very little crime apart from the stuff that they absolutely had to have, which was the 12-year-old girl who was sitting with her sister in McDonald's having a bit of a talk and a laugh and got beaten up by two girls who thought they were laughing at her. A Filipino family only moved to New Zealand last year and Crystal says her parents have not stopped crying and shaking since the assault. Incidents like this never occurred to us even back in the Philippines. It was a, about it. And I covered in monologue this morning, uh, just touched on it, of course, is uh, the gang homicide in Porky. The tensions there on a knife edge that the principal of a Porky college and I think one other primary school, Porky College is closing for the week because mm. he is concerned around the tensions among student body and faculty. And the, another school is uh, closing due to its proximity to the cemetery. It is so sad with all this other bread and circuses going on with Pride Week and all the rest of it, you have the situation un- unfolding in a portiki and it is just the whole thing is just awful. And of course, you're never going to see the police turning up with uh, area denial weapons pioneered in communist China. They're never going to turn up with rocket launches the way they did uh, with the Wellington protesters. I actually have got someone that lives in the area and I ask them how are things going across there. She's in the Eastern Bay Plenty area, as is her sister, and her sister lives in the street where the homicide Mm. happened. And she was telling me about how her sister had to return home under a police escort. And I said, how are things today? All calm overnight. Today will be the big one. Lots of posturing at the moment and a lot of -of out-of-town police. The biggest problem will be the stupid young gang prospects from the other side kicking things off. Two schools are close to the tangi and have opted to close. One, in one case, it's right on the boundary. I suspect a few adjoining businesses may also choose to close. Poor reporter, because if you've, I mean, you and I have both spent time there. You drive through there on a regular basis when you travel from your home to your family home and I spent a lot of time there as a kid it's a, it's a lovely place it is like many of our smaller provincial towns there is tension there is gang tension 
and not a lot's done to suppress. I think they keep it to a certain level and then you have things like this happen. And I'm again surprised at how little is really has turned up in the yeah. media about this. I, I've heard more brouhaha about the fact that the principal's chosen to close for a week than the actual homicide. No, they're probably going to be on strike anyway. Again, if, if you were the National Party and, and you wanted to talk about this, their default is always cricking down on gangs. But, um, you know, a much more useful way to approach it is what a misery these guys make, not only for the people who live it, who live around them, most of whom aren't in gangs, but also the, the young people that gangs are still prospecting so they embark on this life of just crime and scumbag activity, and, and also even themselves. You know, I know a lot of gang members, but when they get to 50, when they get granddaughters seems to be a big trigger for them just to look back in horror on what they've done in their lives. The terrible things they've done to women, that's a much more useful way to approach it. They make lives miserable in prison. They make lives miserable for, for the people who live around them. Mm. They do. So back to the papers, back to the theme. I've, the theme. I've gone, because obviously the announcement is out tomorrow around the economy, there is great debate about whether or not we are going to be formally entering a recession. A couple of the main banks are all over it. I think I've seen Westpac reckon we're going to be there. Three out of the four banks uh, claim that we will, but we're talking like tiny numbers. The reality of it is, is whether or not we have a slight decrease in that balance of payment numbers or the optimistic slight increase. The Reserve Bank, I think, we're hoping for a 0.3 increase. The reality of it is it's milking mice. It is milking mice. If you are living in New Zealand right now, going to the supermarket, seeing the cost of your grocery shop, which I did on the weekend and nearly fainted, that's the reality of what we're living in. And so what I found so interesting in the paper ahead of this, typical things that you would expect, the Liam Dan's talking about the spectre of stagflation, another money piece in here from Alka Prasad talking about a fluffy pluff piece about uh, the bachelor having a business enterprise. Also, one that I found quite interesting was uh, inflation hit Kiwis are tightening belts. This is uh, the Herald on Sunday. Kirsty Wynn, uh, new data shows Kiwis are leaving fat in the budget to dine out for special occasions, but around 70% say they're eating out less. Anecdotally, some households are also reducing the number of times they order delivered meal kits or are choosing to cancel orders so they can have more control over what they spend. Chef Simon Galt revealed around 70% of respondents to his survey are staying home and cooking more. Galt polled around 1,800 households through his new What's for Dinner campaign. His findings are supported by new data by Worldline New Zealand, which is what was Paymark, they're like the FPOS people, which revealed spending on food and alcohol last month was up 8.3% on the same time last year, but well below the latest annual rate of food inflation of 12.5%. People are choosing to spend more time at home. I know we certainly have since the COVID years. And I mean, gosh, for a time there, we were forced. We were forced yeah. to spend Well, I mean, without wanting to interrupt your uh, summary of uh, the themes, uh, I was in the supermarket last week and I spoke with a checkout operator who told me that 50 to 60% of people going through her checkout put up six to 12 items back. So obviously been mm. thinking about it. And she said, I said, well, what are they putting back? And she said, the good stuff. They're putting back meat, vegetables, and they're keeping the chips and fizzy. 
and she gets people saying, well, I haven't paid the rent this week so I can buy food. And so next week, you know, we're going to be in trouble because we're going to be paying double the rent. Yeah, every time I, you know, read about the government spending $200 million rewriting the curriculum that is then found by principles increasingly to be not fit for purpose, you just realise New Zealand needs a good dose of ivermectin to cure itself of parasites. Yeah, absolutely. sucks on the productive economy that no one talks about. You've got school-aged children. I've got school-aged children. Budgeting. So we've had a really interesting exercise in this house over the last 24 hours around budgeting. And we pay the kids a small stipend, like a little bit each week in pocket money. And in return for that, they've got to do things like loading and unloading the dishwasher, mowing the lawns. Just as before we got started, we were late starting because the man came with the firewood. So the kids have got to stay at the firewood. That's what we do to teach them work, reward, work, reward, right? Good. Yeah. Our oldest now has a part-time job. The two of them are so incredibly different. The older one, who's got the part-time job, I mean, he's honestly, in the last couple of years, he likes earning money. He's saved, and I mean, this is him, he has saved nearly $4,000. It's always worth telling them that they need to pay 40% uh, uh, tax to you on that for the public services you give them as well. It sort of, I think, balances uh, the tendency young people have to be socialist quite quickly. I like the idea of that. Well, the youngest one, he's really wanting a job and he's struggling because he's 15. So it's now that youth wage is gone, employers are not keen to hire kids to fill those sort of menial roles that they're used to, you know, they because they're having to pay them $21 an hour. Like when I was a kid, I used to get paid uh, with my grandfather on the farm and he uh, just used to give me a bit of money now and then and it really wasn't much. He could spend a lot of time teaching me how to do stuff and that was on the in the long term far more valuable. If you're having to pay a kid $20 an hour, you just got to get them doing something that is pretty boring and repetitive so you can get value out of them and, and it takes away that ability to teach them. Continuing on with the theme, as I go strolling through the papers, further on, uh, I think this one is Herald on Sunday, in the money section, uh, there was a whole segment around, so we've got Simon Galt talking about people not going out, then we've got a segment on avoiding paying those sneaky fees. So the entire piece is around how to avoid credit card contract fees, joining fees, payway fees, KiwiSaver fees, booking fees, convenience fees, 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 plenty of fees of the government I'd like to get rid of. Telling you how you can basically survive with the increasing pressure of the public sector, taking money out of the pockets of Kiwis and not delivering very much for it. Exactly. So then I dived into the places that you tend not to go in the newspaper. So I'm over in the spy section. In there, this is the headline in the spy section, which is, again, I think this is Herald on Sunday. And it is Kiwi Olympian turns to only fans to chase gold. This is a Kiwi rower, Robbie Manson, who's joined the adult-only subscription site OnlyFans to help reignite a sporting dream. He's sort of talking about a sporting dream and how he's needing to sort of fund, because, I mean, let's face it, unless you're at that top echelon of professional sport, it's a grind, right? Unless Mm. you've got corporate sponsorship and the like. (laughs) <laughs> but this is where it gets spicy. Currently based in Cambridge, the athlete settles, although he may not have regained his physical peak of three years ago, he's maintained his body and is on a mission to break down barriers by joining OnlyFans. In 2014, Mason came out. One of New Zealand's first openly LGBTQ plus people in New Zealand rowing. 
OnlyFans is a space where creators can lock their content behind a paywall, allowing fans to access for a monthly fee or a one-off payment. The site has grown rapidly in a few years and is reportedly now boasting more than 190 million users and more than 2 million content creators. It's known for sexual content, where adult entertainers can make hundreds of thousands of dollars. However, Manson stresses there will be nothing sexually explicit about his content, which costs $14.99 a month. Instead, he's embracing nudity as competitors did back in the ancient Olympics and hopes to break down barriers and champion body positivity. Good on him. For $14.99 a month, you can have a look at this rather good-looking chap, get his kit off. But it's not sexual at all. There will not be people of the rainbow community paying $14.99 a month to look at him. They'll be looking at him going, oh, Robbie, yes, good on you, that good Olympic spirit. That's what they'll be doing, I'm sure. And that's mm. what they I don't want the laundry bill. Anyway, on the same page, then you have – so. A whole newspapers and newspapers and newspapers dedicated to how to save money, the recession is coming, things are, without trying to sound too doom and gloom. But then we've got A-listers, European summer breaks, and there's a piece there. Essentially, whoever did this reporting was obviously bored, trawled through a whole bunch of A-lister Instagram accounts to see who's on holidays and places far flung. Mm. It's like, really? Have you not read the room? Anyway. Well, I mean, you know, contrasting with my uh, conversation with uh, the checkout operator talking about people having to put uh, healthy food back and live on chips and fizzy drink, I was on the East Coast at the weekend and a friend of mine who has a building company was told by a businessman who lives close to him, asked, you know, did you apply for the East Coast Flood Relief Fund? He said, well, we didn't get flooded. He said, well, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And uh, his mate had gotten 10 grand. So he filled out the very short form, which didn't require any detailing of how his revenues grown month on month, year on year. And he's actually doing quite nicely, thank you, out of the floods because people are having to rebuild. But he um, filled the form out and it asked, is this a Maori owned business? To which he checked yes, because he is part Maori. And he got $17,000. Much to his surprise, later in the month, he got another $22,000. He doesn't need that money. And he uh, he was and embarrassed you, telling me. That contrasts with the Esk Valley Restaurant and Event Conference owner, who has applied for the same fund, and all he's received is $20,000. And he cannot... I mean, he, he can reopen, but he has to get work done in order to get people to be able to access his venue to open the business. And that, that's all he's been able to access. Spray and pray. And the infuriating thing is, you know, Robbo is not making decisions based on what's good for New Zealand. He's making decisions based on what's good to keep the Labour Party and the Greens in power, overseeing the decline of New Zealand. Yeah. It is really scary. So the last sort of entrench of the stuff I had was also a piece in the Sunday Star Times this time around the new smoking uh, restrictions. Obviously, they're now aiming for the smoke three. I think it's um, smoke free New Zealand twenty. I think it was twenty twenty five, and they've now moved it out to twenty thirty. But Sonny Kushal from the chair of the Dairy and Business Owners Group, he is expressing massive concern because, of course, now with 
everything that has gone on. These poor dairy owners. Yeah. The poor dairy owners are like farmers, man. They're getting screwed six ways till Sunday. They really are. People out there need to realise and cherish the quintessential Kiwi corner dairy, which have been reducing in numbers steadily over the years. You know what? If you've got a dairy that you love, you need to cherish that because the income streams that they have are slowly drying up. I didn't realise... Kusha was saying it's going to be very hard for businesses to survive with these new restrictions. How will they replace such a huge chunk, up to 50 to 60% of their revenue? Mm. And they're looking at removing uh, cigarettes and vaping products out of dairies and moving them specifically into places such as supermarkets and petrol stations. So, And then you throw the whole ram rate element. Now, I guess the government will say, oh, well, that will take away the threat of ram rating. Mm. Yeah, well, you probably just killed the business, darling, so they're not going to be worrying about a ram rate, are they? Yeah, it's amazing how all the decisions uh, that have been taken globally through COVID in, in Western democracies have advantaged um, big BlackRock-owned corporates, crushed small to medium businesses. It's almost it's almost like that's what they're aiming to do. Mm, oh, I know it's it is such a concern. It so is it, such a concern. Just with with the themes, and we sort of carry on having a nibble at them. The, uh, the media waking up to the fact that over a decade, New Zealand's birth rate uh, declined by a quarter. You know, so suddenly, sort of, although they're still dancing around it, it's starting to at least address it. Favorite about the Greens, um, we smells the precious and we wants it kind of tax uh, policy. There's a bit to pick out there. Where do you want to start? You brought up in terms of the falling birth rate. Let's just start with what I think is the most ridiculous piece before we dive into the politicians. That's saying something. Uh, Ali Moore. Oh, Ali Moore. Ali Moore. Apparently, the reason the birth rate is dropping is we don't have a universal basic income. <sighs> what are the odds that the World Economic Forum are right? The headline on this, this is the opinion piece, Ali Moore, want more babies? Give us a universal basic income first. Mm. She quoted um, Professor Paul Spoonley, at least in passing, laid that detail out a couple of years ago, noting the fall in birth rate has accelerated particularly rapidly in the past 10 years. In 2010, the birth rate was 2.17 children per birthing adult. It's now 1.6, a drop of 20% in a decade. I went back to that article and Paul Spoonley thinks it's, in my in his mind, it's simple. Um, the reasons for this are in fact reasonably obvious. Increase access for women to higher education and participation in the job market. So it doesn't sort of talk about xenoestrogens, which is, is an interesting uh, angle in terms of the people who want to have children and can't. doesn't talk about the breakdown of family structures that mean, I mean, I started work at 18, you know, started working with men. Coincidentally, that was the year New Zealand's divorce rate peaked. And so I had a lot of men just saying to me, don't get married, boy. Don't just go overseas, party, have a good time. This baby boomer nihilistic kind of uh, symptom of a civilization that's in decline. And, and so the fact that men have seen other men have their kids taken off them because their wife's just not happy and then has to pay for the house where the wife's with a new partner who may be earning more than him. Those sort of things have an, I wasn't expecting Ali Mao to bring that up. 
In the political panel last week, actually Olivia brought up a really interesting point about Hungary and Viktor Orban, and he has a really interesting policy. Like They're very serious about the core family there and core family values. They're a very traditional conservative nation. I mean, of course, the progressives in most left-leaning socialist Western countries hate Viktor Orban, and they hate the fact that he's you know, the Hungarians keep voting and back election after election. And I think she brought up that one of the things that he does is that if you choose to stay at home as a a trad wife, which will get you a domestic terrorist label in this country, if you choose to do that in Hungary, you will get a tax break. Mm. Well, no, you pay no tax. No tax. Yeah. Yeah, no tax for the rest of your life. So, you know, that to me makes far more sense than a universal basic mm. income. You know, and I think this this is something as a nation we've got to start talking about. We've got a whole generation of kids who are being told that the world's going to burn in ten years, and just being terrorised by these by these people again, deliberately. They've basically been traumatised and so talked out of thinking long term. Just the evil of doing that to children mm. uh, horrifies me. There's a lot of evil that we're doing to children. One piece that I've heard a bit of talk about, but I didn't manage to catch because it was a paper that was sold out, was Bruce Cottrell's piece on the Herald on Saturday. Now, you did dig that out and said it was excellent. It, it was really excellent. I mean, you know, sort of start that by talking about Green's uh, wealth tax and the Weekend Herald led with uh, an article that sounded like it was cobbled together with a little afterthought from from David Parker, who, of course, loves that French Marxist economist whose ideas for solving inequity are indistinguishable from Marxism. But, um, yeah, the language in this article, the rich stash $470 billion in trusts. And in another place, you had James Shaw basically saying New Zealand's got enough wealth to solve child poverty as if it's his, as if it's public money. The language through this was the golden age of stashing vast sums of money in trusts or indeed anywhere, maybe over, with the Green Party set to unveil a wealth tax. Swarbrick says wealth in Aotearoa is concentrated in the back pockets of a wealthy few. It's time we got on and fixed this. Again, you know, when you've got that messianic complex where you think everything in my mind it's simple spoken by a young woman who has no other responsibilities other than her big bad self on a a very healthy six-figure income yeah and i I googled chloe swarbrick charity and tried to find how she'd unburdened herself of this terribly problematic wealth it's as hard as finding Ashley Bloomfield uh, giving a crap about the plummeting birth rate. It's just not there. Mm. It's for thee, not for me. I mean, you know, I read Lenin's speech urging the murder of the kulaks, and it's it's the same meme. Ruthless war on the kulaks, death to them, hatred and contempt for the parties which defend them, the right socialist revolutionaries, the Mensheviks and today's left socialist revolutionaries, the workers must crush the revolts of the kulaks with an iron hand, the kulaks who are forming an alliance with the foreign capitalists against the working people of their own country. And of course, this resulted in the murder and starvation and rape of 20 million people. 
I read also an earlier profile on Chloe Swarbrick where she talked about her ADHD and how she'd read one page a hundred times and crushing depression, as you often find with people who are the most vocal on Facebook, you don't have to scroll down too far to find their battle with crushing depression. It's interesting, the um, the Labour Party candidate for Mount Albert, Helen White, you know, just like Willie Jackson said, there's not that much difference between us and the, Ma- and the Maori Party in terms of what we want to achieve. We're just sneakier about it. Her, her word is pragmatism. White says the pragmatism of Labour is actually a selling point in Mount Albert. The Greens and Labour do have a lot of stuff in common. They haven't ruled out whether they're going to go with their wealth tax. No, but I think it will all depend on the collective, really, won't it? What the collective wants. Yeah, yeah. So, so getting back to Bruce Cotterell's column, which was one of the best I've read in some time. He uh, headlined our leaders in need of life lessons. And I mean, I've highlighted two thirds of it, but, you know, he's talking about instead of pounding the pavement and selling yourself today, getting into parliament as an MP is easier. Instead of presenting your credentials to an electorate, you need only find favour with the comparatively small group of people who represent the hierarchy of your preferred political party. It's what former Australian Labour Party leader Mark Latham called the conga line of suckholes. Yeah, he says he's lost count of the number of people who tell me they're loving Wayne Brown. Yes, he's abrasive and not everyone's cup of tea, but my bet is that we'll be better off as a result of having him in the mayoral seat than we would have been without him. And my father worked with him on the Tarafiti District Health Board when he took it over and said he just had such a great grasp of numbers. It was incredible to work with and just didn't tolerate crap. But the, another quote, oh, he said, the new alternative is that you spend time at high school, possibly in the debating team, go on to university to study politics and thereafter work in the office of a senior MP. There you will wait until your chance at the big time arrives, either a safe electorate seat that you can stroll into, or better still, a place high up on the party list. Working in a minister's office might teach you about what has happened in politics in the past, but it doesn't prepare you for things you've never seen before for the future only experience and perspective and judgment to do that. But the perpetuation of such an approach will continue to deliver politicians who see everything through a politically based, Wellington-centric and retrospective lens. As a result, the basis of decision-making becomes narrower and narrower. Amen, Bruce Cottrell. Mm, it is that whole beltway bubble, isn't it? He's just yeah, described I mean, it in an absolute nutshell said of Jacinda Ardern, you know, she's got no understanding of history and now she's the Prime Minister, it's too late for her to learn. Mm. In my mind, it's simple. Yeah. So much easier when in your mind it's simple. That piece was also followed up on the Herald on Sunday, an article talking about the Ask Me Anything, the podcast now hosted by Paula Bennett, and she interviewed former Prime Minister John Key and he talked about the psyche of ambition And that is certainly one of the things that I know you and I have talked about privately is about, you know, just how how do we instill ambition in our kids when they're told repeatedly the messages that they get wherever they look, that being ambitious is negative, it's evil, you have to be part of the collective, you can't be a strong individual. Especially if you're a man, especially if you're a man. Yeah, hello, two boys. I see it all the time. I watched the Arnold documentary on Netflix the other day. And growing up in the 80s, Arnold was an idol to my friends and I. We used to bunk school to go to the gym. 
And, uh, you know, he, he was talking about what a, a, an awful upbringing he had in many ways at the hands of you know, his father, who was a, a card-carrying Nazi when it was quite uh, rare in Austria. He was saying, look, you know, it, it, it was awful, but I couldn't have done what I did without it. That wanting to insulate kids and people generally from the consequences of their action results and and I didn't cut this out but it was only as I thought about it last uh, over the past couple of days that I realized it was related some um, millennial talking about the gen z culture of bed rotting which is where you sit in your bed and do nothing I just can't fathom it you know and this is one of those I don't know how whether you feel this but when I hear about stuff like that I think oh my gosh Marie this is one of those you know you're getting older moments it's, yeah, it is insane. Well, I tell my kids, look, I'm trying to give you the benefits of a tough childhood without so much of the trauma. So bear mm. with me. Now get <laughs> up that hill. Well, in this piece, last this is a quote from Key. Last time I looked, we want people with ambition doing things, hiring people. That's a lot of what I tried to do when I was Prime Minister. I tried to build ambition, have New Zealand proud of the fact that we're a rock star economy and that we're punching above our weight and we're going to win. And it wasn't just the All Blacks and the like. It was the infamous changing of the flag. It's got nothing to do with the act- what's actually on the flag. It was what we can find something that we can coalesce around that makes us feel good about being Kiwi, and we're happy to show it in a way that Americans do, and actually, even frankly, the Australians do or the Canadians do. So I think you can build a national psyche of ambition. I do worry that in the last little while that things are starting to seep away. Oh, that's uh, an understatement, isn't it? Isn't it, I, just? I, I thought his quote, he was talking about, I know what my taxes are and I know I was on that list because I was made to fill it out. And I know there's a hell of a lot of more wealthy people that are on that list that are a lot wealthier than me. But I know how much nominal tax I pay. And the answer is a truckload. When 2% of and this is the key, this is a key data that is is always lost in this. When 2% of people are paying a quarter of all personal tax and 25% are paying or 20% are paying about 70% of it, well, if that's not enough, what is enough? Yeah. This is the, we smells the precious and we want it. It's actually that, that whole, that expression, killing the goose that lays the golden egg. That's what these guys are doing. As, as I've said before, I'm certainly not wealthy. I know a lot of wealthy people. And as I've said, I'd rather have my problems. I know that they just don't get it handed to them. And then it comes at a cost. And I choose not to pay that cost. But that's okay because you could be bed rotting with a baby on your universal basic income. So stop complaining, Martin. <laughs> I want to uh, head over a little bit into sort of heading more into a kind of a cultural realm and this initially I hummed and hard about doing the story it was one that I know three of us that chat about these matters talked about on the weekend I am going to cover it only because it's still unfolding looking back and looking down on it I think that there is a much much bigger element in in terms of media so what am I talking about I'm talking about the Radio New Zealand staffer that's been t- stood down over uh, the alterations of Reuters stories it is still evolving 
quick pricey. There's been around, I think they're now saying up to 15 stories. Reuters is an agency that sends out, uh, and so is Associated Press, that sends out news. If you are a news outlet in a country, you subscribe to it, you pick these stories up. And in most cases, they either reproduce it in its entirety or they make subtle changes in order to have it fit with the market or fit with what it is that you want to do. For example, if a story comes down and it's quite long and it's for radio, you need to condense it down into a smaller format to fit what you're using. So this is all quite normal. It's gone on since time immemorial. The brouhaha is coming because it is believed that this journalist has changed stories to deliberately make them from pro-Ukrainian to pro-Russian. The one example that they have trotted out in the Example they've listed is the original story states the conflict in the eastern Ukraine began in 2014 after a pro-Russian president was toppled in Ukraine's maiden revolution, Maidan, Maidan, revolution, Maidan, revolution, and Russia annexed Crimea with the Russian-backed separatist forces fighting Ukraine's armed forces. That's what Reuters put out. There were alterations made, and this is what RNZ put out. The conflict in Ukraine began in 2014 after a pro-Russian elected government, true, was toppled during Ukraine's violent maiden colour revolution, true. Russia annexed Crimea after a referendum, also true, as the new pro-Western government suppressed ethnic Russians in eastern southern Ukraine, ascending its armed forces into the Donbass, also true. Mm. This is just completely blown up. I have no opinions about Russia and Ukraine whatsoever. As far as I'm concerned, there is bigger fish to fry here in my own backyard that I'm that I'm even worried about what's going on over there. I don't really want Vladimir pressing any red buttons and blowing us all up, to be fair. No, I'm not keen on that. But I don't have any particular opinion one way or t'other. What worries me about this is all the speculation around it. Like this this journalist has been stood down. Is this another element of this overall censorship that is going on in journalism today? You've worked there. I mean, what's your opinion on this? Well, I mean, like climate, you can choose the starting point to suit your narrative. So if you choose a point, you you can get warming in the climate. I think from from memory, it's about 30 years ago. But, you know, at many other points, you've got a net cooler. If you want to present... This is an illegal invasion. You have to kind of ignore what came before it, as as the journalist added in. I mean, I just keep reiterating. It's it's. I've got an opinion on the Ukraine conflict. I'm no expert, but I'd like to have balanced coverage. And when I do see the sheepdogs barking to get the sheep back in the paddock, and most of them do run straight back there, I get very nervous, and I I uh, don't much like to see it. I think you're really right. And I uh, look, I'll be intrigued to see how this does unfold. I mean, I I don't know the journalist. Actually, the journalist is out there and they happen to be listening to this and they want to talk to us at RCR. Info at realitycheck.radio is the email, just saying. That was what I read what came out of the Herald on Sunday. The Sunday Star Times covered it a little bit more deeply. But what was interesting about their coverage, and it was the irony of the, their coverage that I loved, right? 
RNZ Chief Executive Paul Thompson confirmed yesterday he'd launched an external review of processes for editing online stories to ensure that these are robust. The staff member has been put on leave and no longer has access to the RNZ computer systems. Okay. They then got comment from a security analyst, Paul Buchanan, who said whilst it wasn't clear what exactly had happened, New Zealand has become a target for overseas disinformation in the last few years. Because of the pandemic and the government's highly successful response, Okay. Uh, New Zealand has been flooded by foreign disinformation and misinformation. New Zealand is a good target because if you can undermine the New Zealand liberal democracy, which is very progressive in the world's eyes, then you can do it for any democracy, he said. Much he says of this, that like it's a good thing, doesn't he? I know. Much of this propaganda is anti-LGBTQIA+. Um, I really don't know what this has got to do with a RNZ journalist altering stories on Ukraine, but let's push on, push on. It aims to fuel culture war politics, but Buchanan said some of the disinformation is on the war around Ukraine. Now, to quote somebody that people love to hate or hate to love, um, this is all smelling very Russia, Russia, Russia to me. Mm. Yeah, I'm with Trump. I just want people to stop dying. I just want I just want people to stop dying. There was some chatter on Al Jazeera, you know, pointing out quite rightly that uh, there was uh, not nearly so much hand wringing uh, when brown people were getting brutally murdered in much higher numbers and all sorts of illegal op- occupations and invasions. And the people responsible for the lies that occasioned that aren't officially regarded as war criminals. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see really how this unfolds. The fact that they're now trying to whip this up. I mean, I literally did hear on another station this morning that they are claiming that this could be a targeted Russian disinformation campaign to hit New Zealand. Personally, I don't think it's anything of the sort. I've got a sneaking suspicion that this is actually a journalist who was trying to do their job. It's a targeted campaign against a journalist who's probably got a mortgage to make sure that uh, you stick to the script, please. And you've got to blow it all up around all of this other distraction because you don't want to look like you're censoring a journalist. I mean, that's my take on it, just from afar. Also in the same paper, actually, in the Sunday Star Post. So I turned the page. (laughs) I turned the page. And then the next headline that hit me over the page from that one was annoying or dangerous. How should managers deal with extremists in the workplace? I nearly ran out a highlighter for this one, Marty. This is how this, this is by Jay. It is covered in yellow. This is by James Halpin, Sunday, Sunday Star Times. Companies in New Zealand are walking a difficult line with employees who use the workplace to promote conspiracy theories or extremist political views. And then it pretty much went downhill from there. Such cases raise complex questions about freedom of speech and the right to a safe working environment and the range of of employment experts told the Sunday Star Times there was no easy answer. So essentially, this entire piece is about, as a manager or an employer, how you navigate between someone's personally held views and opinions whether they be religious, political, ideological, or extremist, according to our friend James here, to how does this breach workplace safety? He says, for example, an employee who stridently supported Donald Trump could be just annoying, but vocal support 
in the workplace for the violent January 6th insurrection and storming of the US Capitol could be potentially harmful to the well-being and safety of other staff. Doesn't mention whether support for the Black Lives Matter burning cities down. Uh, the left but, can never go too far. James, give me an example. I mean, I'm an employer. You're you're an employer. Give me an example of how some bloke over the teacups in the smoko room talking about a political event that happened two and a half years ago, halfway around the world, is going to be harmful. Yeah. To I mean, can we block. fire feminists for tanking New Zealand's birth rate? It is absolutely laughable. Absolutely laughable. But it's basically a preliminary to passing legislation for hate speech and, and so on. It's designed to be, yeah, an antechamber to uh, limiting free speech. I think it's more sinister than that. I actually think that this is a precursor. What they're wanting to call for is to actually pass health and safety legislation within the workplace in order to curtail workers' behaviours whilst they're actually there. I, I really this does concern me. And I mean, the manager said the law was also unclear about what to do with an employee who was radicalising in plain view, or who had a profile outside of work that centred around extreme beliefs. I think there's a spectrum. Dismissal is at one end of the spectrum. There are also some who go down the rabbit hole, and we should try and pull them out of the rabbit hole. Just stamp out those last embers of ability to critically think that a left once 55% of kids can't read. Who gets to decide who spends any time in anybody's rabbit hole? You know it when you see it, as dearly as No, in my mind, it's simple. <laughs> Tracy Watkins, you know, had a similar pearl clutching about a public meeting in Hamilton last week is a peek into the madness that awaits hundreds of conspiracists. Now that, Tracy, I, I don't want to have to give you lessons in language, but someone who talks about conspiracy isn't a conspiracist. They're pointing out conspiracy. A very different thing, Tracy. Took over the meeting claiming citizens' arrests of Hamilton's deputy mayor and other councillors. Elected representatives were booed off the stage and shouted down as cowards by a 400-strong mob. I guess a mob is what you get when you get 400 people who don't agree with the party line that had earlier chanted that Jacinda Ardern was a witch, then took to the stage to deliver rambling conspiracy theories about urban planning. Yes, that's correct, urban planning. Now, what they're probably talking about there was Agenda 2030, the one that Jacinda Ardern had boasted to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in New York that all of New Zealand's legislation that their government was passing was now compliant with Agenda 230, even though I don't remember anything like that in New Zealand's media didn't bother to tell us and certainly didn't give us an option to vote on whether we wanted it or not. Oh, the urban design co concept is supposed to promote sustainable and healthy living. Who could disagree with that? Mm. And it's all well and good until the restrictions start coming in. So that you meanwhile, meanwhile, how many people who want an end to the ban on GM are swing voters, do you think? Oh, that's a really interesting question. National have come out with a couple of big things, isn't it? The GM thing and the whole yeah. Haywaka Ekanoa. Yeah. yeah. Mm, good question. I don't know. I don't think it's as many as they would like to. Is this the RMA all over again where, uh, um, where I don't know. Collins uh, campaigned as primarily on, uh, on uh, reforming the RMA? And you're like, well, how many swing voters 
had that as their ride or die topic. So instead of coming out with a crime policy, because let's face it, I mean, actually, Andrea Vance was saying that people were worried about the cost of housing and something else. And this is like, no, Andrea, everyone's worried about the cost of living and crime, darling. And yet, no one seems to be getting that memo. No, it was actually, um, there was a, a quote on Tuesday from uh, Lloyd Burr from News Hub. Uh, quoted, uh, it sounded like it was an offhand private remark to a farmer, quoted Luxon as saying, we have become a very negative, wet, whiny, inward-looking, oh, he's saying country, I thought he was talking about the National Party, Uh, inward-looking country and we have lost the plot and we have to get our mojo back, Luxon said to one farmer. You know, the, the thing that, again, with James Shaw flying all around the world begging for New Zealand's farming sector to be taxed, you never, ever, ever hear any journalist say that the reason New Zealand's agricultural emissions aren't taxed is because they were specifically exempted from the Paris Accord Agreement. Mm. Food production is specifically exempt. But the reason that they want New Zealand's agricultural emissions taxed is because it's such a high proportion of our emissions. So what should be a great advantage to us, because everyone's got to eat, they're trying to, again, dying to, to borrow tens of billions of dollars and set it on fire or throw it into a volcano as a sacrifice to the climate fairies. Andrea Vance said climate change and affordable housing. Climate yeah. change and affordable housing, two of the great crises of our ages. Andrea, no. No, it's not. Well, I mean, national, and it shouldn't be. Despite the fact that they're walking this back in the run-up to the election, the reason for ending the ban on GM was climate change. So they want to genetically modify ryegrass. So, and goodness knows what this will do to, to cattle that are already. There's a big rush to give um, to give uh, RNA vaccines to animals as well, which, as we know, doesn't just stay in the shoulder; it goes right through the meat. Mm-hmm. They're having a bob each way, our national. Well, they are, and he's. I mean, he is trying to galvanise the support in farmers as he pulled out of Haywakari Kanoa. But Vance says here, a farmer-led group formed to price greenhouse gas emissions. Andrea, Andrea, Andrea. No, no, this is a government. This is a government initiative to corral farmers and uh, have their, the government being the heading dog, to use the analogy you used before. If you want to know more about the Haywakari Kanoa, Go back to my replays, people. Have a listen to the interview I did with Kerry Warsnop, which was about a month, a month six weeks ago. She talks about this. She she, it was a great interview. She's a Kiwi farmer. She is all over it. In fact, I'm going to get Kerry back ahead of all of this. But this is a reframing. I mean, this is gaslighting, pure and simple. He's pulled back on that genetic modification, and it does worry me because is he trying to do this in order to technology our way out of what he believes is going to be the problem when actually when you look at and you talk to people around this climate stuff and i know don and jess pre go they have an entire show dedicated to this as you said wherever you place the starting point Mm. you can then paint the picture that you want from that point and the whole thing is just a it is just especially if you, you you always leave out the fact that once you start satellite measurements of temperature, all climate models overestimate warming by typically 100%. The models are all wrong. And we're still enduring all of these uh, headlines based on what a computer model says. And as we know, you can make a computer model say anything. Yeah, But you can only get funding for a computer model that says one thing. And that's a good place to look.
Yep, follow the money. Anything else on your list, my friend? Oh, I'm interested to see National trying to claw back the sensitivity to negative emotion female vote by uh, Nicola Grigg, who is, I've never heard of her before, but she is National's uh, spokesman for women, I think. But she points out, as a result of the COVID-19 lockdowns, and it's good to see her not saying, as a result of COVID-19. It's another thing that uh, the media says that bothers me. It's the government's response to COVID-19. More than 50,000 women missed a mammogram, likewise this cervical smear test, with neither of those backlogs yet cleared. She might also be interested to know that for the third year in a row, New Zealand's breast cancer screening program has failed to meet its target of 70%. So they're doing their best, bless them. It's tough to know which way, uh, whether the ladies are starting to wake up if they've got kids and they're realising what a horrible future they're gifting their kids as a result of their terrible voting decisions. Women have got a a lot to consider, I think, this coming election. Well, I've got a little cheery story I thought I'd finish on. Oh, it's good because I don't. Yes, when I have, I have. The Children of the Jungle, and this, of course, if you haven't caught up with it over the weekend, are the four Indigenous children who survived in the Amazon after a plane crash that killed three adults, including their mother. The siblings, aged 13, 9 and 4, as well as an 11-month-old baby, managed to survive on their own for so long, though they belong to an Indigenous group that lives in the remote area. The crash happened early in the the early hours of May 1st, and they have been out in that jungle for 40 days, 40 days, a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 4-year-old, and an 11-month-old, 40 days in the jungle by themselves. The search team found the plane in a thick patch of rainforest, recovered the bodies and all three adult, of all three adults on board, but the small children were nowhere to be found. Sensing they could be alive, Colombia's army stepped up the hunt and flew in 150 soldiers with dogs into the area. Dozens of volunteers from the indigenous tribes also helped with the search. The children were travelling with their mother from an Amazonian village to another when the plane crashed. They saw evidence that they thought that the children would still be alive. The jungle saved them, they said. The children are of the jungle, and they are also now the children of Colombia. Now, this is an incredible story of survival. Mm. And tragedy, because it would have been, imagine seeing the mum dead, and gosh. And apparently the mother, she did initially survive the crash before she passed. Yeah, and, bef- and, and spoke to the children before they passed. But it just shows you the resilience of these children. I tell you what, there would be no four Kiwi children out in the Kiwi bush that would have been able to survive no, that. No bed rotting for those kids. No, but it's great. I mean, that is a wonderful story out of Colombia and uh, just shows you actually the resilience of the human spirit. So well done to them. Thank you very much, as always, and there will be plenty more to talk about. Uh, you will be appearing again on the political panel on Friday. Yes. So you'll be able to dig up more political stories of the day, and of course, if you've got anything that you want to hear Marty and I cover, or any questions, we got lots or of disagreements. Feedback, or disagreements, yes, and we got lots of feedback last week, actually. It was really great to hear, so thank you. Keep that feedback coming. Inbox at realitycheck.radio or 2057 is the text number. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio.